Amen. We hope you are joining with us in worship right there in your homes this morning. Thank you, Nicole, for that. Um, we're going to be resuming our series in the Gospel of Luke this morning. We suspended our series for a few weeks to dive into Isaiah, but we're back in Luke chapter 12 this morning. And uh, a long time ago, when we started this series, we said we were going to concentrate on looking at what it means to be a servant of the Lord as we travel through the Gospel of Luke. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we go into Luke chapter 12 this morning. And specifically, we're going to be looking at the pitfalls of serving the Lord. Things to avoid as we seek to serve the Lord. And there are three of them that Jesus gives us here in this passage of Scripture this morning. The first is fear, the second is greed, and the third is worry. And we're going to be concentrating on the first 34 verses of Luke chapter 12 this morning. And before we actually look at Luke 12, I want to remind us of the context of what was going on in the ministry of Jesus uh, right around this time, because it, it really plays into why Jesus spoke about the things that he did at this particular time. You see, there were many people that were still following Jesus, and there was popularity with Jesus amongst the general population, but now there was a growing antagonism against Jesus from the religious leaders of Israel. And that was something that was beginning to put pressure, especially on those that sought to follow Jesus. Because not everybody was buying in to, if you will, what Jesus was selling. And so I want you to look with me at verses 53 and 54 of Luke 11, and then we will just keep on going into chapter 12. It says, when he went out from there, Jesus, because he had sort of called them out about their hypocrisy. It says, the experts in the law and the Pharisees began to oppose him bitterly. This speaks of a persistent personal animosity toward Jesus. And from that time on, most of the religious leaders of Israel were expressing publicly a personal and persistent animosity towards Jesus. So you can begin to understand then how those that were wanting to follow Jesus, how that was starting to maybe make them feel and, and some of the feelings and whatnot that they had to wrestle with because these were the men that were revered in Israel. These were their spiritual leaders that from the time they were children, they were taught to, to honor and respect and obey and, and follow what they did. And now these religious leaders of Israel were beginning to express publicly a very personal animosity towards the one that they were following. And then it goes on to say, and these religious leaders began to ask him hostile questions about many things, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. The words plotting and the word catch in verse 54 are very interesting. They were used in Bible times to picture a hunter lying in wait for its prey. That's exactly what the religious leaders of Israel were doing. In a sense, they began to hunt down Jesus from this time forward. Now, with that said, when you move into chapter 12, Luke pictures a dramatic scene. 
Notice so many people, thousands of people, were wanting to touch Jesus and be near Jesus and hear Jesus that the Bible even says in verse 1 that they were trampling on one another as Jesus began to speak. But notice, Jesus was not primarily addressing these words in Luke chapter 12 to the, to the mass, to the crowd. He was primarily addressing these words to those who were already following him, to his disciples. And he says to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus, first of all, is, he's saying two things here. One, you and I must take personal responsibility for our spiritual condition. That, that it's not up to someone else to be on guard for, for where we are spiritually and for our heart and all that. It's up to us. We need to take responsibility for where we are spiritually. But secondly, he's saying, and part of that is making sure that we monitor and are aware of who or what is influencing us. That's why he uses the yeast of the Pharisees. He's saying, you know, their, their, their talk their speech, their language, everything, it's like yeast in dough. It, it's very subtle. It goes in and it begins to permeate the, the entire ball of dough. And Jesus is saying throughout your life that the yeast of the Pharisees has been this very subtle but very powerful influence. And he's saying, be careful of who you're listening to and what you're listening to and what is influencing you. Are you hearing the voice of God? Or as we even said on Wednesday night in our study of Colossians, it's possible to know the Bible but not know the heart of God. Jesus here is saying, be on guard. Beware of the things that are influencing you, of the things that are affecting your heart, your soul, your spirit, and all of those things. Because he goes on to say, these religious leaders, they're hypocrites. They're, they're simply actors playing a part they are pretenders. They're not transparent. They're focused on the externals, but they're not focused on what really matters, which is the heart, the internal things. And then he goes on in verse 2 to 3, basically saying, listen, one day hypocrites will be seen for what they really are. Their hypocrisy will be exposed. Right now they are still revered in Israel, but one day who they really are will come out. Now, it's with, again, that backdrop of their personal, uh, persistent antagonism against Jesus and, and what they were trying to do to Jesus that Jesus laid out those words to his disciples and then enters in to the first pitfall that you and I, even, today, as servants of the Lord, need to be aware of if we're going to serve the Lord because Jesus said, he said, if anyone wants to serve me, they first must follow me. Well, following Jesus at this time wasn't easy, wasn't comfortable. It was going to start costing his disciples something. They were going to have to start experiencing personal sacrifice. And can I say, I believe the same thing is true today, that we are entering into even a period in our own country's history where it's going to cost us as Christians more and more to follow the Lord that we're finally going to experience persecution like our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, that, that we are, are going to pay a price, if you will, and have to count the cost of following Jesus because 
In order to serve him, we must follow him. We must identify ourselves publicly with him. And so Jesus, with all of that in mind, says in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Jesus is basically saying, don't fear a human being. And not only that, but can I say to apply this verse to us today, not only don't be afraid of, of anyone else, don't be afraid of anything else. Not only who can kill the body, but what can kill the body. That's not the priority that the servants of the Lord should be wrapped up with. Now, I'm not saying that as Christians we should be reckless with our physical life, that we should put ourselves in unnecessary danger physically, but what I am saying, and I think what Jesus at the heart of what he's saying is this, that our spiritual life must always take precedence and priority over our physical life. And, and if you and I are faced with a choice that, that we must always choose what is best for us spiritually over what is best for us physically. You see, that always in the Bible takes precedence. Think of in, in the gospel even, the essence of the gospel. Here's a young man, Jesus, in the prime of his life, at, at the height of his physical life, if you will, who willingly laid down his life and allowed himself to die and be crucified. Why? For his physical well-being? No, for the spiritual well-being of every one of us who knows him as our Savior. You see, he sacrificed himself physically so that he could bring spiritual life to others. Think of every martyr in the history of the church. They gave up their physical life for one of two reasons, either their commitment to Christ or to try to bring witness or the gospel of Christ to someone else. And many of them were in the prime of their life. <laughs> Physically, they were great, but they understood that the Bible teaches that you and I, when we are faced with what's best for me spiritually or what's best for me physically, that we should always choose the spiritual. My fear, even as a pastor, if you will, and fear, my, my concern as a pastor is that many Christians today are choosing to make sure that their physical well-being is okay to the detriment of their spirit. And I think you and I need to have enough faith in the Lord that if we are faced with a choice between what is more important, our physical or the spiritual, that we as the servants of the Lord would choose the spiritual. Because Jesus says, do not be afraid of anyone who can kill your body. That should not be the emphasis. He says in verse 5, but I will warn you whom you should fear. Fear the one who after the killing has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Be more concerned about our eternal existence and where we are with eternity in mind rather than just the here. And now, that's why Jesus in other places said, don't, don't seek to save your life because those who seek to hold on to this life end up losing the life to come. But you and I, if we're willing to give up this life, we're going to gain so much more in the life to come. God alone deserves our reverential awe and respect is what Jesus is saying in verse 5. 
And when you and I, in a sense, grow to have a reverential awe and respect and in a healthy fear of God, we will fear no one else. We will fear nothing else. Because what God is looking for in his servants is fearlessness. Because just as it was in Jesus' day, you and I are going to be placed in situations and in a culture and, and in conditions around us and circumstances where it's not going to be popular to be a Christian. In fact, it's going to be less and less and less popular to be a Christian. And you and I are going to have a choice to make. Are we going to try to hold on to, to our you know, physical or are we going to go after the spiritual no matter what it costs, no matter what the sacrifice, if you will? And Jesus is saying, look, you and I have to trust the Lord that he will take care of us. And, and, if, and if it's his will that our life is over at that point, that was his plan, that was his purpose that he had long ago for us, and we've got to trust him in it. That's why he says in verse 6, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten before God? He's saying nothing escapes God's knowledge. God even knows What's happening with the sparrows? And so Jesus is saying, if God cares about the birds, as he's going to say later on, then he cares much more about you. In fact, in verse 7, he says, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. In other words, Jesus is saying, God knows the details of even your physicalness more than you and I do. Now, I could go into the whole hair on your head thing, but we won't go there this morning. But the idea is that's the minute detail that God has about our physics. He knows. And yet Jesus says, do not be afraid. Fear not. God cares and loves us. You are more valuable than the sparrows. And he takes care of the sparrows. So he'll take care of you and I as well. Verse 8, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before God's angels. We must live out our faith in front of others. We must live our faith out loud. Well, the only way to do that is to be fearless. Even in Jesus' day, there were many secret disciples, especially amongst the religious leaders, because you can understand the religious leaders of Israel as a group were turning against Jesus. And the, the, the popular thing amongst them was, we've all got to stand against this, this guy named Jesus, you know? And yet there were some who believed in him, but out of fear for what their fellow brothers would think, they sort of went underground, and they didn't live their faith out loud. I think of someone like Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night because he didn't want his Pharisee brethren to see him interacting one-on-one -on -one with Jesus and asking him questions and even being interested in what Jesus had to talk about. Joseph of Arimathea, the one who the tomb was, was bought so that Jesus' body could be laid there. The Bible even says explicitly that he was a secret disciple because he feared what his other Pharisees would think. God doesn't want us to be secret disciples. He doesn't want us to be turtles that hide in our shells. We can't let our light shine for Christ like that. We've got to let our light shine out in the public forum. But in order to do that, that means you and I have to have a growing fearlessness 
and not be afraid of this or that around us and trust the Lord that as we stand up for him, he will stand up for us. And just like Stephen, if it is God's plan that, that our life ends at that point, it ends gloriously. It ends trusting in the Lord, you see. And we see in that great scene of the book of Acts that as they are stoning Stephen, that the Bible says that Jesus literally stands up in heaven as he watches his young child of the faith, Stephen, stand up for him. God is looking for servants like that who will be fearless and not be intimidated and back down and back off their witness for Christ and their commitment to Christ simply because of what the culture, the conditions around them may be at that moment. Fear, first pitfall. Second pitfall, greed. Let's move on. Notice in verse 13, it says, someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell me or tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter between you two? Jesus was not going to allow himself to get sucked into a family squabble. Could Jesus have been a judge or arbiter? Absolutely. In fact, there would have been no better one to judge or arbitrate this disagreement between brothers than Jesus. He would have had, but he didn't allow him that because that's not what he wanted to get caught up in in his life. And that, that's a good lesson for you and I, too, as servants. There are things we could do, but then those things may pull us away from what God really wants us to do. And here's Jesus, who, if anybody could have done it, it was him. He said, I'm not going to get caught up in that. But he does take the opportunity to teach his disciples about the second pitfall of serving him, and that's greed. Notice he says, watch out, take heed, beware, and guard yourself. It means to exercise unbroken vigilance from all types of greed, because greed comes in a lot of different forms. What is greed? It is the desire for more. That is simply what it is. It is an unquenchable thirst apart from God. It is trying to fill my life with all these different things and surrounding myself that, and, and never getting to the end of it, never being fulfilled, never being satisfied. In a sense, greed is the opposite of contentment. If you want to look at it positively, this passage, then what Jesus is looking for, first of all, is fearlessness not fear, and then he's looking for contentment, not greed or covetousness. See, because Jesus says, look, our life, from God's perspective, does not consist in the abundance of what we possess, what we surround ourselves with. Life is so much more than that. In fact, by pursuing that type of life, going after possessions and things and trying to surround myself and, and my security being in all these things that I surround myself, I'm taking away then the time, the energy, and the effort that I could be putting in to worshiping the Lord and growing in Him and getting closer to Him. I'm sacrificing my relationship to God and my effectiveness as a servant for God by being a person of unquenchable thirst for earthly things, of, of material things, of possessions. And Jesus, later on, we're going to see in a couple weeks, says, you cannot serve God and material possessions. Luke 16, 13. You can't do it. Because it's going to come down at some point where you and I have to be willing to sort of uh, live detached from our earthly things. 
to not be so attached to earthly, material, temporal things in order to follow Jesus because there's going to be times where Jesus says, I, I need that or I want that or I want you to share this with me, uh, with someone else or I want you to be generous and I want you to give that away. And, and if we get too attached to earthly things and the accumulation of them, then it, it prevents us from really locking in to serving the Lord as the Lord is looking for. And then the Lord told them a parable. This parable beginning in verse 16 of this rich man who was a very successful businessman, if you will. He, he was doing so well, he had to keep building more room to store all of his stuff. And he even says to himself in verse 19, things have went really well. I have enough stored up for many, many years. So relax, eat, drink, and celebrate. But God breaks into his life and says, you're a fool. The word fool here simply means one who lacks spiritual discernment. One who is living their life without taking God or eternity or the life to come for all of eternity in mind. It's just one who is, in a sense, as a horse has those blinders on and can't see outside of that little narrow thing, God is saying that's the way those who go after possessions. They're, they're so consumed with surrounding themselves with earthly, material, physical things that they're forgetting the spiritual. That again, it goes back to what we said earlier. They're emphasizing the physical over the spiritual. That that is the priority of their life. Their physical life becomes more important than their spiritual life. That physical, material, temporal things become more important than, than spiritual things. And yet God can break in at any time. I mean, think about how quickly things have changed for us. That our life was going a certain way and then boom, this situation happened in the world and things changed very, very rapidly. Jesus is reminding us that same thing can happen with every one of us. We don't know when is the last day you and I are going to be here on this earth. And God can intervene at any time. And our life on this earth can be over. What is our life going to, to count for? What kind of spiritual legacy or eternal legacy are we going to leave? Because Jesus says, you're a fool because one of the reasons is this very night, your life will be demanded back from you. Did you notice what Jesus says? He is saying that our life, earthly life, our physical life is on loan from our creator. It's not our life. It's his life because he created us. The only reason we're here is because of him. And so we are stewards of our life. In fact, everything we have is from him. And that's why throughout the Bible, we're called to be good stewards, good managers, because everything we have is on loan from God. Even our own life, our physical life, the time we have on this earth is on loan from our Creator. What are we doing with it? And then Jesus goes on to say, and oh, by the way, who's going to get all this stuff that you've only prepared for yourself? It was all about you. It was all about you making yourself feel good and, and relaxed and comfortable and cushy and, and, and secure maybe and all of that. But now where's it going to go? Somebody else is going to come in and enjoy all that you had stored up for yourself. 
So then Jesus says in verse 21, so it is with the one who stores up riches for himself, but is not rich toward God. It's a good question to ask all of ourselves as servants of the Lord. Am I being rich toward God, or am I more living my life directing things totally towards myself? You see, Jesus here is saying, being rich toward God means I'm investing my resources that are on loan from my God as directed by him. I'm investing my resources that are on loan from him as he directs me to. That's being rich toward God. So, first pitfall Jesus talks about here in this passage, fear. Second pitfall, greed. Third, worry. And notice the transition, and if you will, the bridge between greed and worry. Greed can never get enough. Worry is afraid I may not have enough. So Jesus has now a call to avoid anxiety. And notice again, he's directing these words not to the thousands of people, but to his disciples. And in verse 22, he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Wow. Don't be anxious. Don't be troubled with care about your life. Again, he's talking about your physical life here. What you will eat, your body, what you will wear. It's all about our physical life. Because again, Jesus is saying, shouldn't we put our spiritual well-being above our physical and shouldn't we put eternal things above the temporal? And so Jesus says, in every case, if it's fear that's got a grip on me, it's because I got the wrong value, I got the wrong priority. If it's greed or covetousness that's got a grip on me, it's because I've got the wrong values, I got the wrong priority. And the same thing is true with worry, because worry is all about this life. Not the life to come. It's all about my physical well-being, not my spiritual well-being. Let me ask you, when was the last time you worried about your spiritual life? You fretted over, I, I, I haven't prayed enough lately, and I haven't been into the Word, and I, man, my worship is just lacking. I, I haven't really praised the Lord. No, when we worry, we don't worry about spiritual things. We worry about mere physical things. And so Jesus says, there is more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. There's a higher quality of life here that God wants us to enjoy and experience. It is the abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10, 10 that he came to give to his followers. And Jesus is saying, if you and I are so focused on our earthly life, our physical things, the, the temporal things, the material things, we're missing out on a whole higher quality of life, and we're being sapped, if you will, and drained by, by our worry and by our covetousness and our greed and our fear, and we're then not able to experience that life, and then to serve him, then we're not able to bring that higher life to others because we're in the grips of fear, and we're in the grips of worry, and we're in the grip of greed. Jesus says, it's time for us as followers of God to even just step outside, which you and I get to do a lot now, and look around at nature. 
Jesus says, look at the birds, look at the flowers. Do we not see how the God who created them takes care of them? Notice what he says, consider the ravens. Go out and think about the birds and how God takes care of them. He says, they don't sow or reap, verse 24, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them every day. And then Jesus says, how much more valuable are you than birds? How much more significant or important to God are you and I than a bird? And yet the bird doesn't sit there every day wondering, where am I going to get food the next day? How, how am I going to take care of it? Now, listen, Jesus isn't saying to us here or teaching that you and I should not work, that we should not do our due diligence in providing for ourselves. Jesus here is more talking about the things that are outside of our control. Yes, we are called to take care of the things and be responsible for the things that we can do, to do the very best that we can. But there's so much about our life, especially when it involves and, and it intersects and it affects our physical well-being that Jesus says is totally out of your control, even as a follower of mine. I am calling you to trust me in that and not to worry or fret or be just all twisted inside. Because I take care of the fowl of the air. You're more important to me than that. I promise to take care of you. I will meet your needs. And then Jesus says in verse 25, which of you by worrying can even add an hour to your life? You're all pulled apart. You're going to pieces. Are you adding any time to your life? Is it really changing the things that are out of your control when you worry? Does it really... Even Jesus saying, let's get pragmatic about this. Does it, does it even work to worry? In fact, I would submit that worrying actually takes time off of our life. Stress and worry and anxiety not only decreases the quality of our life, it probably takes years off the quantity of our life if we don't learn to trust in the Lord and lay our worries and our anxieties and our stress and all of that aside, because we know stress and worry and anxiety kills us physically. So he says, and if you cannot do such a very little thing as this, in other words, Jesus pointing out the utter futility of worry, then why are you worried about the rest, the things you can't control? Again, so then he takes us back outside and says, consider how the flowers grow. They don't work. They don't spin. Yet Solomon was not clothed like any of these. And if God clothes the wild grass that is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, people of little faith? See, faith is total confidence in the provision of God. And the word of God says, Paul says to the Philippians, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We either believe that or we don't. We either believe God will provide for our needs or we won't. And you and I have a choice. We're either going to trust God to provide as he promised he would or we start worrying. We start being anxious. We start being pulled apart and going to pieces over the things that we can't control. Jesus says, why are you concerned about what you will eat, what you will drink, and do not worry about such things? The word worry here in the end of verse 29 means to be in suspense or of a doubtful mind. 
it, it's a very picturesque word of almost being dangled over a precipice. And Jesus is saying, do you really think God treats you that way? Like you're, you're being dangled and you're in suspense over what's going to happen to you? Do you not understand that, that the everlasting arms of our eternal creator has got us? And nothing can ever pull us from his loving hands and arms? And then Jesus says in verse 30, all the nations of the world pursue these things. Don't be like the world. You're my people. You're my disciples. Be different. Be distinct. Be known for living differently than the rest of the world. That's what the rest of the world is obsessed over. That's what they're preoccupied with. There's so much more to life than that. There's so much more to knowing me and having me in your life and serving me than that. Don't settle for the crumbs of, your, of the table of existence on earth when you can sit at my table, the king's table, every day and feast with me. Jesus is saying, there's more to life than this. Don't live one day in fear of anyone else or anything else. Have a respect and reverence for me, and that'll be all you need to live your life. Don't live your life always wanting more and never being satisfied. Be content with the things that you have because godliness combined with contentment is great gain, Paul says. And then Jesus says, don't worry. What good is it to worry about the things you can't control anyway? It only reduces the quality and quantity of our life on earth. Trust the Lord's provision for your life. Know and have confidence that he will take care of us. Instead of focused on all these physical things that we put as more important than the spiritual, Jesus is saying, here's what I want my followers to be known for. Verse 31, instead, pursue God's kingdom. And then these things, the things that all the nations are obsessing over and preoccupied with, God will make sure you have those too. But get your priorities straight, Jesus says. If you want to serve me, you got to be fearless. You got to be content. You got to be calm and composed. The word pursue here is different than the word pursue in verse 30. The word pursue in verse 30 means to be obsessed over or preoccupied with. This word pursue means to seek after, to prioritize God's kingdom above all other things. But very interestingly, it's also a term of worship. Jesus is saying, if you and I truly worship the Lord and what we have in him and the kingdom that he's already given us, then that will affect every decision and choice and the way we live our life. We won't live in fear. We won't live in greed and we won't live in worry. We all need to ask ourselves, am I pursuing God's kingdom above everything else? Am I truly worshiping the Lord by prioritizing his invisible kingdom that is yet to come on this earth more than I am the physical things that I can touch and see and feel and smell? And then Jesus says in verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father in heaven is well pleased to give you the kingdom. You already have it and everything that is within it. 
in a sense, at this point, in the context of Luke 12, Jesus is saying, it's okay to be all in with God. Don't, don't be afraid to dive all in with God because it'll be worth it because eternity is looming. Eternity, forever, is looming. And that's what really matters. Not this very brief, physical, earthly life that we've got here. No, no. What really matters is eternity. What really matters is not our own little kingdoms down here and the kingdoms of the nations and all of that. that that's going to pass away and be gone one day. What really matters is this invisible kingdom that you and I are connected to and a part of. Jesus' kingdom. Are we making that the priority? And Jesus here is saying, don't be afraid to make the kingdom of God the priority of your life. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. In other words, don't be so attached to earthly things. He's not saying give away everything. But he's simply saying live with open hands. Realize that what we've even been given is not our own. It's on loan from our Creator and our Savior. Use it at His direction and don't get so attached to it. Provide for yourselves, rather, purses that do not wear out, a treasure in heaven that never decreases. Jesus is saying to his followers, invest in eternity. Because when you and I invest in eternity, it's unfailing. It's unfailing. It's always there. In fact, it's always growing. We never have to worry about the stock market going down or, or things not not being as valuable or, you know, inflation going up and things costing more. We don't, we don't have to worry about that when we invest in eternal things. So Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, our treasure is what we truly value. It's what is most important to us and Jesus here is making a very important connection. Our heart always follows our treasure. Our heart is always directed by whatever our treasure is. Whatever we value the most, whatever is most important to us, that's where our heart goes. And Jesus is saying, so if our treasure is God, if our treasure is his kingdom, if our treasure is heavenly things, then our heart, even li while living on earth, will be directed there. What is it that we really value? What is it that's really most important to us? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. That's the, that's the principle that Jesus was laying in front of those that were following him at this moment, because guess what? It was going to get even more and more difficult to be a follower of his. It was going to get less and less popular as time went on. And more and more of those that at one time were following him started to leave and cut and run because it was getting too hard. Too much of a sacrifice. Too much of a cost. And Jesus says, unless you and I as his followers and servants keep our eye on his kingdom and eternity and that that's our real treasure, then we're going to diminish what service we give to the Lord here. We're going to be more like the turtle that hides in the shell or the secret disciple that, that lives underground rather than living our faith out loud. And so Jesus here is saying, beware of these pitfalls. 
trust me. Trust that I will be there for you, that I will provide for you. And don't allow your life to be characterized by fear, by greed, and by worry. Let's pray. God, we thank you today that Jesus doesn't mince words. He never did and he never will. That he never promises us that life will be easy for us on this earth. In fact, Jesus sort of very clearly and plainly put out there that if we're going to really be a committed follower of Jesus and we really have our heart's desire to serve him, that it's going to be quite difficult, quite a challenge. And that it might involve a lot of adversity and persecution and hardship. And only those whose treasure is God and God's kingdom and eternal things will be able to keep focused and keep going in the days in which we live. Otherwise, we will allow things like fear and greed and worry to grip our hearts and to grip our minds and to reduce the quality of life that you came to give us and to reduce the effectiveness that we could have as your servants. Oh God, I pray today that as your people, God, that we would stand up for you no matter what, that we would pursue you no matter what, that we would worship you no matter what the sacrifice or what the cost, that we'd be willing to step out, step upon that water, God, and keep our eyes on you. God, raise up an army of fearless servants who have lost their attachment to earthly, material, physical things and just want to wrap our arms around the eternal things of your kingdom, God. Do a work in your people today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This song is a song that really declares and challenges all of us to just step out step forward. And so I pray today that as we sing this song of worship to the Lord, that that would be our heart's desire, that we would stand up right where we are and say, God, I'm yours. I'm willing to follow you no matter what. I'm not looking back. I'm following you, Lord. Would you even right there in your home stand with us here and let's offer this song of worship to the Lord this morning.